When we talk about internet access, connection is only the beginning. While getting on the internet in the first place is an essential step, you're not really connected unless you can easily and quickly load that video or download that email attachment. That is, the quality of your connection is just as important as being connected. And there are a surprising number of areas in the U.S. with low or no speed internet. I'm Daniel Dennis-Jones, and today on Radio Berkman, we're going to talk about some of the communities that are still lagging behind. And to do that, we're going to check in with producer Elizabeth Gillis. Hi, Liz. Hi, Dan. So, Liz, let's just get an idea of what we're talking about here when we talk about high-speed internet. Right. So you've probably heard of Fios and broadband connections, right? Sure. Well, basically, these are the speediest internet connections that your provider offers, probably somebody like Comcast or Verizon. Instead of using dial-up or a cable connection, this type of internet connection uses something called fiber to speed up the data. So if we've got fiber, then we've got high-speed internet. Well, some places get fiber. Some places don't. Internet providers do a lot of calculations when deciding whether it makes economic sense to build out fiber networks into the markets they serve. Smaller towns or rural communities, called the last mile markets, sometimes don't make the cut. For service providers, the cost of building simply won't make a return. And in these places, people only really have one option, a slower connection. That sounds familiar. So the the more rural you go, the more likely you're going to be stuck with dial-up. That's right. Berkman just released a report that looks at how this plays out in Massachusetts. The report focuses on one community, Holyoke, Massachusetts, where this guy's from. My name is Tim Haas. I'm chief network engineer for telecom division at Holyoke Gas and Electric. In 1902, the city of Holyoke started a utility company to make sure prices and service would be stable. That's Holyoke Gas and Electric. About 20 years ago, the city asked if the local phone or cable companies wanted to bring in high-speed internet. And they said, yes, yes, of course, fast internet. We'll build that, of course. Not exactly. <laughs> More like no, actually. Oh, okay. So Holyoke Gas and Electric installed their own fiber linking government buildings and schools. Wait, the, the, the town's electric facility installed broadband internet? Yep. At first, it was just for them, then the town, and gradually they started to add service for businesses, too. They haven't branched out to residential services quite yet, though. We view it as electric was 100 years ago. You fast forward to where we are today, broadband is in the same state that standard electricity that we all take for granted today. That's where it was 100 years ago. Not everybody had it. It had to be built, and here we are in the 21st century. We're trying to figure out... How do we get broadband to everybody? Haas says the cost of installing fiber wasn't too high for the service it provides. Right, so we can stream Game of Thrones in full HD. <laughs> well, that might be what you're trying to get done today, but let's say that a few years down the line, your connection needs to be faster. Haas says, no problem. We're exploiting more and more speed out of fiber every day because we haven't used the capacity of the fiber that we put in the ground so long ago. You see, fiber isn't like those copper wires anyone familiar with a wired connection might be thinking of. They're thin glass strands that are about the diameter of a human hair. The information gets shot through the fiber as bursts of light. And so all we're doing is sending laser pulses at very high rates through glass, and we're able to achieve much higher levels of speed, much more data throughput than we would through your standard phone line or your 
coaxial cable that serves your cable modem. The glass itself never has to change. To change your connection, you just need to change the equipment on the other side of the line. That end equipment also determines whether you're getting a plug in the wall or a Wi-Fi hotspot. Okay, okay. So obviously lasers are really cool. But is using fiber really all it's made out to be? That's a fair question. It really gets down to this quality aspect of internet access, right? Right, so who gets left behind when everybody surfs the web at different speeds? Yeah, and to answer that, it's probably worth noting that Holyoke, Haas's town, is only one story. You see, across the country, there are about 450 local governments with their own broadband networks. Chris Mitchell of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance researches how communities do this. My work is really focused on municipal networks, what local governments can do to improve Internet access. And I think in particular with a focus on often economic development and often historically marginalized communities. Then you're saying that creating municipal broadband networks targets those different groups. It can, yes. How so? Well, I think traditionally um, the cable and telephone companies do the bare minimum because they don't really face a lot of competition in the market. And that's the first way municipal broadband changes the game. Competition. Exactly. Comcast is a combination of hundreds of cable companies um, that were usually small cable companies that were built up. And the cost of building those networks was amortized long ago. It was just paid off. So, you know, if you and I wanted to build a network to compete with Comcast, we have to pay a lot more to build a brand new network than Comcast would to upgrade its network to just be a little bit more competitive with us. So for years without competition, these bigger companies got to set the market price. When local governments build networks, the price tends to be a lot lower. That competition forces the cable and phone providers to drop their price just to compete. Which makes the internet cheaper no matter who you pick. Yep. But that's not all. Holyoke is actually saving its own public agencies around $300,000 a year by not outsourcing their internet bills. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, and they even make over $200,000 a year by selling their internet service to other communities in the area. Okay, wait, Liz. Now it's beginning to sound like this is just some money-making operation. I thought this was a public service. Okay, well, hang on. It is. Think about the benefits you get from having high-quality internet. There's almost no part of our life that the internet doesn't touch one way or another. You know, when I was going through school, I had an encyclopedia set, and that was very useful. Uh, Kids today that don't have the internet are at a tremendous disadvantage relative to others. So I think that's one area. Another area is it's so hard to apply for a job without internet access. But, you know, there's some people who just want to focus on that. But I'll be so bold as to say for games, for being able to do things that just make us happier because it's it's an issue with quality of life. Okay, so it sounds like it's more than just not being able to stream Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, in fact, Mitchell also says property values tend to be higher where there's better internet access. Whoa. Yeah, when I asked Haas from Holyoke why broadband was so important to these towns in Massachusetts, he put it pretty bluntly. People are leaving. People are not moving there. They're becoming... I don't know what you want to call them, but people people are not moving there and people are moving out. Why? Because there's no broadband. Again, this is the 21st century. The broadband is our electricity, right? If we're out east here in Boston, broadband's not really a consideration, is it? We, we sit here and uh, we assume Wi-Fi is going to be available. We assume that when we jack in, it's going to be it's going to work and it's going to be fast. You get um, 
you know, the west side of the Quabbin, it's not the case for a hundred towns out there. They they come home at night and they've still got dial-up or satellite, and there's no real possibility of creating a, a a work environment where you can get things done and have a sustainable lifestyle if your town doesn't have broadband. And it turns out fiber isn't really that hard to install. Wait, I thought it was too expensive, and that's why private companies aren't getting into the game. It- can be a little pricey. You sometimes have to dig up utility lines and roads, but in some cases it's just repurposing. A lot of towns actually already have fiber networks set up for other services like traffic lights, emergency support, or closed circuit security systems. So they can sometimes just tap into what they already have. Fiber is a very long-lived investment, and, um, uh, and, and we know that because it's been used for, I don't know, since the, at least the 60s and 70s, I want to say, in long-haul networks. And I met this guy from a municipal utility in Chinook, Kansas. They installed their first fiber in 1984, and it transmitted one bit, whether or not the cement factory was on or off. And they, he was telling me that now that, that same line runs a gigabit. So what are the challenges to just getting this to happen everywhere? Well, remember, we're mostly talking about communities where the private option doesn't really exist. In a lot of places, the government just has to find the money and make sure they're spending it in a smart way. Even in Holyoke, it happened in steps. And then in about 20 states, there are actually laws preventing the government from getting involved. Right now, there's kind of a big debate in Congress. The FCC and a few senators, including John McCain, are trying to make it easier for local governments to install their own broadband networks. Something Mitchell talks about is how the community would ultimately have more decision-making power, and local governments could use municipal fiber to target neighborhoods or communities that are typically left out. There's really just so many different approaches, but those are some of the ways that we see the communities basically taking charge of making sure everyone has access to the internet, and not just that, but a high-quality internet. So where can people go to find out more about this? Well, if you're interested in reading more about municipal fiber projects in Massachusetts when they're run by electric utility companies, check out the Berkman Center report released last week, or just check out a few other links on our website at cyber.law.harvard.edu. Thank you very much, Liz. This week's episode was produced by me, Daniel Dennis-Jones, and Liz Gillis, with oversight from Gretchen Weber at the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Did I get that right? Sounds right to me. Okay. Do 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 music. Dun 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 dun. dun. Yeah. <laughs>